Welcome to the sermon podcast of Damascus Road Church. For more information about Damascus Road Church, go to damascusroadonline.com. I invite you into my presence. He comes and he says, I am present with you. I'm giving myself to you. I'm pursuing you. And now, as you enter into that relationship, your world changes and you live differently because of it. That's the covenant, the relationship that's first established that leads to the kingdom. We follow King Jesus as responsible citizens in his kingdom. So covenant and relationship is about being with God. And uh, kingdom responsibility is about doing with God, right? Not just for God or under God or to please God. Like we get to do what God does. We get to join in him as responsible citizens and uh, model after the king. So last week we talked about Abraham and Sarah, about how God modeled the covenant, how he met with them, how he pulled them out of nobody. Like they didn't deserve him to initiate, and he did. And he called them, and I said, I want you to, I want you to follow me. I want you to come with me and go to a land that I'm going to lead you to. And then on the way, God stops Abram at the time, right where he was, and he gives him this dream, this vision. He says, I, I, want you to, I want you to take these animals and give them to me. And Abraham cuts them apart, remember this. And he walks through, and this was covenant-cutting kind of language that was going on. This was the practice of the day. Divide the animals in half and walk through this corridor of blood, as they called it. And Abram falls into this deep, deep sleep, and God shows up and shows himself to Abram walking through that same corridor of blood to say, this is not all on you, Abram. We're in this together. This is a covenant, and I am, I am covenanting myself to you. I will be faithful to you always, and you can know this about me. God walked through the fire, and God promises to be faithful. And we, we look ahead now even to Jesus. to say, Jesus is the epitome of God's faithfulness. Jesus is the epitome of of the covenant that says, I would, I would do anything for your benefit. Because we're in relationship together, I will spend myself, I will sacrifice myself, I will give up my life because of this covenant for you. We're going to move on to kingdom today. As Abraham and Sarah really get at the covenant, Joseph is one that shows us the covenant and then bounces off and shows us what it looks like to live in the kingdom. So we're not going to actually read like just a section of text. If you have your Bible and you want to dance around, we're going to cover Genesis 37 through 50 today. Okay? So we're not going to read all of those 14 chapters, um, but we're going to kind of go through the flow of the story with um, Joseph, starting with Jacob. So in Genesis 37, we're introduced to Jacob, and he's got 11 sons at the time. Right? And Joseph is his 11th. The way that it works is Joseph kind of did like an Abram and Sarah thing where they, they weren't pregnant and they thought, we got to have kids. And so they did all these kind of things, except uh, Jacob now takes it a, a notch up. He's got to one-up his dad. And so they don't have kids. He ends up sleeping with uh, a second wife and then a second wife's servant and then a first wife's servant and then the wife of his first love, 
she finally gets pregnant, and that's Joseph, number 11. And for me, it's easy to see, though this is not all pretty storytelling, it's easy to see how Joseph gets the affection of his father because Joseph is the son of Jacob's first love, right? He worked seven years uh, to, to get Rachel as a wife, and then he's given Leah in some sort of weird um, trick. And then he works another seven years, and he marries uh, Rachel. Joseph is on the scene, right? Joseph has the favor of his father. And this is where we get to see Joseph in covenant. Uh, his father puts on the coat of many colors, right? And this, is, this doesn't just make for a good Broadway musical. This was really significant in posture of family. This kind of meant, I'm bestowing upon you the rights of the firstborn. So Joseph is set apart from among his other ten brothers at the time, and he gets treated like the firstborn. He gets the father's favor. He gets the father's blessing. He grows up knowing who he is, and he knows his identity, and he's secure in his identity. And he actually, he actually functions like uh, a manager over his brothers. So his other brothers are working, um, shepherding, and his father says, Joseph, why don't you go check on him? That, that's the reason Joseph isn't actually in the field. He's got his father's favor, right? So Joseph, why don't you go manage your brothers? This, before we move on to anything else, in a messy way, because there are 10 other brothers, right? In a messy way, this sets up what covenant looks like. When you have an undeserved blessing that is put on you, a relationship that secures an identity, that secures favor, and Joseph didn't do anything for it. But because of his identity, he's able to stand up and he's able to live in life knowing who he is. Um, and he, he walks out of that. So in the last couple of weeks, my kids have been naughty, uh, like more than normal. And I've had conversations with kind of all three of them to say, you know that we'll always love you, right? Like no matter what, no matter what, no matter how funky you get, we always love you. And I don't want my kids growing up wondering about that. If I'm bad, Will my parents stop loving me? I want them growing up with an identity that is secure, with a covenant that says you are always loved. A couple of years ago, we gave Elena that necklace. It's just really simple, and it, said, it just has the word loved on it. And I want that to be so key in my kids' identity because I think if they get that piece they'll be far less likely to waver as they grow up. They won't have to go looking for love. They'll know they've got it. They've got it, even on their worst day. Joseph has this. He's got a security and a confidence that comes from knowing his identity. And in Joseph's life, then, this shows up because God sends him a couple of different dreams really early. And he tells them to his brothers. And he's like, look, I'm kind of God's setting me up in control over you guys. And he tells the first one to his brothers, and they're like, whatever. And then he tells it to his parents, and they're like, oh, buddy, this is not smart for you to be talking this way. And, but it's true. 
He just doesn't have the tact or the poise, I think, early on in life to be able to wrap it in language that is good for other people. And it's so disruptive to his brothers that when his dad sends him to go check on them, they plot to kill him. Like, they don't want him around. And Reuben, the firstborn, the real firstborn, actually says, hold on, let's not kill him. Let's, let's put him in a pit and we'll see what happens. And he was going to go release him, but before he can, uh, Ishmaelites walk up and the brothers are like, let's not kill him, let's make some money. We're going to sell him. And so Joseph is actually sold as a slave and taken to Egypt, which is um, in this weird sovereign way, God is working in all of it because of what is coming later. So God, uh, Joseph moves to Egypt as a slave, and very quickly, very quickly, uh, his world changes, and yet he remains resolute. Here's the first thing that I want you to know. Joseph hears from God, and he shares it with his brothers. Now, I don't know that he has tact early on, but he hears from God, and because he's secure in his identity, he's able to take a risk in sharing it. That's what I want for you. Number one, if you're living in a covenant relationship with Jesus, you're free to take risks. You're free if you hear some strange thing from God that are like, this doesn't make sense, I'm going to follow through with it. I'm going to take a risk. That your security in the covenant allows you to take risks for the kingdom, right? And so be bold. Take risks. It doesn't end up good for Joseph. We say it doesn't matter. My security is unwavering because of the relationship I have with God. Joseph lives out of this identity, and he starts to put it to work for the kingdom, starting in Genesis 39. So this is interesting. In Genesis 39, right in the beginning, it says, the Lord was with Joseph. The language doesn't change, even though the circumstances do. The covenant doesn't change, even though the circumstances do. He serves faithfully, and he is steady. Joseph is one of the few people in Scripture where we don't have a a written account of any sin. You can read into naivety. Some people read into arrogance, but it's never spelled out that way. Um, he, He doesn't have recorded sin. That doesn't mean he was without sin, right? He just doesn't. He doesn't have this blemish on him like so many other characters do. And God makes him successful. The NIV says, and so he prospered, right? Most of the other translations says he became a successful man. Um, This is God leading him through Joseph's faithfulness. And then he catches the eyes of Potiphar's wife, right? He's serving in the house of Potiphar, uh, serving there faithfully and successfully. And Potiphar's wife, Joseph has this thing in the Bible that like, I wish could be said of me. <laughs> he was attractive in form and appearance. And it's like, wow, that's a great... God thought that was something that should be said of Joseph. And that's cool. Potiphar's wife takes notice and she pursues him. And Joseph's like, whoa, whoa that's, I could never dishonor Potiphar by doing that. And so she's not happy about it. She lies and she gets him thrown into prison. Which which tends to say probably Potiphar didn't believe the accusation. 
because if he did believe the accusation, Joseph would be dead. You don't touch somebody's wife of somebody in power in that day and live through it, right? So he goes to prison. And in prison, what happens? This refrain is beautiful. It says, and the Lord was with him. And he prospered. And the prison command sees it and puts Joseph in charge. Application. Be ever faithful. Do not waver in your faithfulness. If you have a covenant relationship and a covenant identity, you can take bold risks, but you can be ever faithful. And it's not this begrudging list of shoulds, right? It's not this list of I should do this and I should do this and I should do this. This is living out of who you are, living consistent in the identity that God has given you the relationship that he's given you. Obedience isn't a chore when it's in response to love. Successful marriages are not based on circumstantial faithfulness, right? Successful marriages are built on ever faithfulness. No matter what, I will be faithful to you. You can treat me poorly one day. You can have a bad day. You can do something that hurts me, and it will not affect my faithfulness to you. I signed, I'm, I'm signing up for this covenant that says I'm all in. Be ever faithful wherever you are, in relationships, in your work, in whatever position or circumstance God puts you in or you find yourself in. Be faithful to live out of your identity and you will not, you will not be disappointed in that. Joseph is faithful to live out of who he is and who he represents, being both his father and God. Genesis 40 jumps ahead a little bit. Joseph is still in prison, and in prison he's put in charge, and the cupbearer and the baker are thrown into prison. So their roles were to protect Pharaoh, right? The cupbearer would take sips of wine to make sure that it wasn't poisoned, If it was poisoned, he would die, not Pharaoh, right? The baker was put in charge of presenting healthy food before Pharaoh, um, and something went wrong with the both of them, and they get thrown into prison. In prison, Joseph is put in charge of them. He's supposed to care for them. The prisoner taking care of the prisoner. This is his ever-faithfulness leading toward responsibility. And they both have dreams. And they come to him and say, we're so troubled. He's like, what's going on, guys? They're like, we had these dreams, and we don't know how to interpret them. And Joseph, I think he's growing intact at this point. And he said, uh, he basically said, God owns dreams, tell me. Right? And you'll see, it, you'll see a little progression from, guys, I had this dream, let me tell you about it, to God owns dreams, tell me about it. And later on, we'll see an even... Uh, an even more humble posture, I think. So they tell him, and Joseph gets this message from God saying, uh, cupbearer, good news. You're going to be reinstated, all happy. And like he's excited. And then he turns to the baker who's like, yes, <laughs> good news is coming. And Joseph's like, bad news, you're dead. And that's what happens. Uh, that he is, it's bad news but Joseph is right in both. 
And the cupbearer, when he goes back into service, Joseph says, remember me. Like, I'm here, I shouldn't be here, but I'm here, remember me. And the cupbearer forgets. Two years later, Joseph is still in prison, and Pharaoh now has a dream, a couple of dreams, and nobody's able to tell him what to do with those. And uh, his cupbearer says, hey, wait, there's this dude. When I was in prison, I had a dream. I didn't know what to do with it, and I talked to Joseph. Joseph can do this for you. And so Pharaoh sends for Joseph. It says in Genesis 41, 19, Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. Now, how would your attitude be? Wrongfully imprisoned, right? You sit uh, for a while, and then the cupbearer and baker show up, and you serve them well. You serve them faithfully. They forget about you for two years. And now Pharaoh wants something, and he calls for you. And it says they brought him out of the pit. That means this is not the Hilton of a prison, right? Joseph is not in a good place. And it says after he shaved himself and he changed clothes, because you can't, you can't make it look to Pharaoh like this is a bad deal for you. You've got to look presentable. My attitude would probably not be real good. Joseph is able to rise above that. Joseph is able to be ever faithful because he's not looking to Pharaoh for his identity. He knows his identity. He has received the covenant, and God is always with him, and so he can be ever faithful, and he can lean in. And uh, Pharaoh says, no one, can ter- no one can interpret. I've heard you can. And now Joseph is growing in humility, I think, and he said, it is not in me, but God can. You see the, you see the progression from, I've had this dream, guys, Let me tell you all about it, which is true, but uh, maybe lacking some humility, to God owns dreams, tell me, to now Pharaoh saying, you can do it, right? He said, it's not in me, but God can. And he's he's starting to better reflect his king and the kingdom. Pharaoh shares his dreams, and Joseph says, here's what they mean. Seven years of plenty are coming, and you need to take those seven years and build a bank of food and resources because after the seven years, there's coming seven years of famine. This is what God is doing. And Pharaoh believes him, and he puts him to work. He ends up being second in command only to Pharaoh himself. You're like, look at the, the roller coaster of Joseph's life. And it's, it's really incredible what Joseph and God are able to accomplish together. And all of Egypt is spared because God gave Joseph the interpretation of the dream and he was faithful to it. And so Egypt takes the next seven years to build up this storehouse so that they don't just have enough for them, they have enough for them, for all of Egypt and for uh, their neighbors, surrounding tribes and clans uh, and people groups. And then the famine starts. Then the second seven years hit. And everybody else is uh, just hanging on, and they won't survive. And this is God's way of bringing reconciliation. Because Joseph's brothers show up in Egypt. He said, Jacob, 
we don't have enough food. Sons, I need you to go to Egypt and ask for help. And they end up kneeling before their brother without knowing who he is. And Joseph is looking at them and he recognizes them. And at first, like he toys with them. He does some stuff that's checking out their character. Because the last time they met, literally the last time they met, they sold him off as a slave. So I'm going to be pretty guarded, right? If you sell me as a slave and I go away for years and then you come before me asking for help and you don't know it's me, I'm going to be guarded. That doesn't mean he's stingy. That probably means he's wise, right? And Joseph runs them through tests of character, finds out that they're good dudes now. I mean, they're, they're doing all right. And he bestows grace upon them. It's God's way of reuniting the whole family. And he says, I've got a brother I've never even met before. Like, bring, bring him. I, I want to meet the whole family. Come, you'll be taken care of. Come back. And he has this incredible, incredible statement in Genesis 50. I want to read uh, Genesis 50. This is like the climax. In verse 18 through 21. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to him. This to me is the covenant and the kingdom playing out all over the place. That Joseph could somehow survive without becoming just a completely bitter person. And he would have reason to be, right? He would have reason to have a chip on his shoulder and anger in his heart. And yet he doesn't. And he said, you meant this for evil, but God was doing something else. God was doing something else so that it would benefit me. That's not actually what he says. He says, so that many people would survive. So I'm going to feed you, and I'm going to feed your kids. And and he gave them comfort. So Joseph is living in the covenant, and he's living out as a responsible citizen of the kingdom, as a representative of God. And who does it benefit? Others. Right? It benefits others. Joseph's life is a roller coaster. Everywhere he goes... Because he's faithful, because he's bold, because he knows who he am and he lives out of it. Everywhere he goes, no matter what circumstance he is in, others benefit from being around this guy. Even when they sold him. To application. How do you use your power? You have power. Power is influence. Sometimes power is position. You have power over other people in your life. How do you use it? The world says you use power to benefit yourself, right? You build yourself up. You climb the ladder. Covenant and kingdom language says you wield your power so that it benefits others. 
You spend yourself for others. And Joseph, this isn't a self-deprecating kind of service. He doesn't lose himself in the process. He knows himself and he gives himself. Right? That's a difference. He's not fighting for identity. He knows his identity. And he serves. When you are in covenant, when you're no longer striving and fighting to become, then you can give. Then you can be generous. And this is Jesus. This is exactly Jesus. He shows up in Luke 4, and he says, like, this is what my ministry is going to be about. And he kind of unrolls the scroll of Isaiah, and he starts reading. He says, the, the, day, of, the day of Jubilee has come. And he says, you're going to see sight for the blind, and you're going to see the oppressed freed. You're going to see the, the, the captives set free. That means when Jesus shows up, when the kingdom shows up, People are healed. People are set free. And Jesus is spending himself to do it. Others benefit by being with Jesus. Philippians 2 said he would take it all the way to the cross. That the God of heaven becomes one of us as a little baby. And he grows up all the way to the cross. And he says, this is how much the covenant means to me. How are you sacrificing for others? We've had a super busy November, December at Damascus Road Church where there's lots and lots of ministry going on. Last week was crazy for Thanksgiving week. It's like we went two hours and we could have gone a lot longer. And all the stuff that God is doing and the way people are sacrificing and the way you are sacrificing as we step up together, don't stop. I know it can be it can be wearying, generosity can. But we're, we have to dig into a certain well that says, I will always be full. I will always have enough. God will never leave me alone. And so I can lean in, and I can give, and I can sacrifice. Dressember is a wonderful example. Bunches of people in our body are wearing dresses, some of the guys are wearing ties all of December to raise awareness and raise funds against human trafficking. And it's this, honestly, it's this small little sacrifice through the month. But it's a real one. It says, I will spend myself, relational capital, because I'm going to be posting stuff and I'm going to be asking people to help. So you're spending relational capital to do that. But it's a way that you can wield your power that God has given you toward kingdom advancement and blessing. As a church, we will always aim to be generous. We aimed at 13. We've accomplished 16 so far. And that's the kind of trajectory I want us on. Let me wrap up. Covenant always comes before kingdom. Covenant always comes before kingdom. Relationship always comes before responsibility. Do not jump into the game and think you can be responsible and work your way into the covenant. God will strike you down (laughs) so that he can wake you up and say, you don't deserve it and I love you and you don't have to fight for it. I already did. Covenant always comes before kingdom.
when you're living in the covenant, you can live into the kingdom. You can be bold. You can take risks. You can be ever faithful regardless of the circumstances. Let the humility that God is planting in you grow. That'll grow into power so that you can bless others. All in the name of Jesus, who was bold, who was always faithful, and had a humility that surged with power as he gave himself away and blessed others. That's the covenant and the kingdom at work. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we are grateful to you that you see us where we are and you love us, that you invite us in, that you invite us into relationship and you never stop pursuing us. We thank you for your relentless love. And we ask in this, uh, in this Advent season that you would help us to be faithful, that you would secure our identity so that we could take risks in faithfulness and bless others through it. We love you, and we thank you for grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.